Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, this is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and Amanda, my burden is light. If you love the word, say, I love the word. You may be seated. Thank you, Elle. I want to preach tonight from the subject, the sin of busyness. Hmm. The sin of busyness. Um, we, we live in a culture that tells us, Don, that we should maximize every moment. But when you read the text, uh, the context of scripture, God is not about maximizing every moment. He's actually about resting. And if you read the context of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, there seems to be this revelation that we need to grasp that there is a possibility that you can work even from a place of rest. If you're still with me, say yes. With that said, I want to take us all the way to the beginning of time. Many of you will be familiar with the uh, creation story, um, but I want to read this to you. There are three things that God blessed, and if you're taking notes, this is going to be important for you to write down. There are three things that God blessed in creation. Number one, he blessed humans. Number two, he blessed animals. And number three, watch this, he blessed the Sabbath. You can literally find this in scripture, and we'll dive into this in a little bit. With that blessing, he commanded for each one of those, both humans, animals, and the Sabbath, to be fruitful and multiply. We tend to apply that simply to humans, but we're going to see in a moment that when God says, I'm blessing something, that he always requires it to multiply. You see this in the story of the fish and the five loaves of bread. Jesus takes the bread, and what does he do? He blesses it, he breaks it, and what happens? It multiplies. So anything that God blesses, and this is already good teaching, uh, but anything that God blesses, he intends for it to multiply. With that said, we find that in the, New, in the Old Testament, God blesses humans, he blesses animals, and he blesses the Sabbath. I want to talk about the Sabbath. The word Sabbath, if you're taking notes, it means to stop or to cease. But the idea of Sabbath is way more than simply not working. Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 20. I'll read it for you. Uh, God tells us, remember to honor or observe the Sabbath day by keeping it Holy. You remember what the word holy means because we've taught about this. The word holy means to be set apart, but it doesn't mean to be set apart. This is where we mess it up in the American church and why we beat unbelievers up so much because we think that they should just be set apart. We're not just, called, rather, we think we're just supposed to be set apart. We're not simply supposed to just be different for different sakes. If you're going to be holy, you have to be set apart for a purpose. Some of us like to be set apart because we like feeling better than other people. That's not holiness, friend. That's pride. Ooh, it's quiet already. I'm going to have to work in this Presbyterian church. If you're going to be holy, you're going to have to be set apart, not just for set apart's sake. You're going to have to be set apart for the purposes of God. So God blesses the Sabbath, and then he tells us to keep it holy. So if God tells us to keep the Sabbath holy, he means for us to have a purpose that the Sabbath needs to be set apart, but it needs to be set apart for a purpose. Everybody say purpose. The question I have is, what is the purpose of the Sabbath or the purpose of rest? And I like to preach like a burrito. We're going to throw some stuff in there, and I'll wrap it all up in the end, and we'll eat good. All of my analogies are food ones, so just deal with it. Um, 
The first thing I want to say is that God models rest for us in the creation story. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2 real quick. Genesis chapter 2. It's good to see you, Janelle and Jay. Good to see you guys. Genesis chapter 2. That's right at the beginning. Sam, you got it? Awesome. Genesis chapter 2. I like scaring Sam a little bit. (laughs) Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Verse 2. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. Watch this. So he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day. That's that word blessing again. He blessed the Sabbath and declared it set apart for purpose because it was the day when he rested from all of his work of creation. Here's the thing. God rests, but does God need to rest? So why would God rest? Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, and you don't have to turn there, just write it down in your notes. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is he weary, his understanding is unsearchable. What the scripture is telling us here is that God not only has no need for uh, 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 recouping, as we think it, uh, because he never gets tired. He has never needed to slumber had a long day and just needed to have a nightcap so he can go to sleep. God has never been tired. With that said, my question now becomes, Connie, why does God need to rest? Because my understanding is that I rest when I'm tired and burnt out. God rests before he's tired and burnt out. Not that he's ever going to get, don't get me wrong, please don't misquote me. I'm not saying that God's ever going to get tired. He's never going to get burnt out. He is the everlasting God, but he rests from a place where he doesn't need to recoup. Write this down. We misunderstand resting. We think resting is recouping. And recouping has its place. Recovering your strength has its place. But I'm going to teach you this tonight, that resting is way more than that. See, in our culture, we rest when we are tired. In kingdom culture, we rest to keep from growing weary. The lack of this revelation leads many of us to have burnout, to get tired, to need to take a break. I've never been in a generation so long that when it comes to the things of the Lord, we just all need a break. And it's funny to me because as soon as people start going through stuff, they call me pastor, I got to stop ushering, I can't serve here, I can't serve here because I'm just tired. Nobody ever calls their boss. It's like, hey, Mr. Supervisor, I'm a little tired. The devil's been working on me a little bit. I think I just need to take a sabbatical for about six or seven months or whatever. See, it's so crazy to me that the first thing that we give up is the one who replenishes us so that we can serve the things that are depleting us. Oh, I didn't mean that hard that fast. I'll slow down a little bit for the newcomers. You can say amen or ouch. Or if you're junior, you can say amen and hallelujah. <laughs> Resting is not the same as recouping. Biblical rest is two things. Write this down. Biblical rest is reflection and refreshment. Reflection and refreshment. Let's deal with reflection first. Here's what the Webster definition uh, of reflection is. The act of observing. Here's the thing. We are constantly reflecting, no matter who you are. And you overthinkers, you guys are reflecting a little bit more than us, right? Uh, We are constantly reflecting. But here's the deal. What you reflect on matters. Hmm. Why? Because you will become what you reflect. 
You realize the word reflect has a couple of different meanings. It's kind of like a mirror. The mirror reflects my image. But we're talking about two different ones, but I'm going to put them together for a second. If you reflect on the negative things, you're going to reflect negative things. Let me try this side and see if I get more amen from Sohi. If you reflect gossip, uh-oh, that, oh, shoot, I lost everybody. You're going to reflect a certain sinful nature. What you ref- if you reflect on the wrong thing, this is why it's important not just to reflect, but what you reflect on. That's good preaching right now. See, if you reflect on sickness, guess what? You're going to reflect pain. If you reflect on offense, they just, I can't believe they didn't say hi to me. How dare they? Just Q snaps and Z formation. I just can't. I'm finding a different church because then people don't. Guess what? If you reflect on offense, you're going to reflect unforgiveness. And let me say this one because I tweeted this this morning. And it's just, let me be petty for a little bit. You don't have the right to be offended. You have the responsibility to forgive. You don't know what they did to me. I know what I did to him. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just leave that there and let the Holy Spirit deal with you. Um, if you reflect on your lack, guess what? You're going to reflect anxiety. Yeah. If you start reflecting, I'm just not enough. I don't have enough friends. I don't have enough money. I don't have, you're going to constantly go through the world reflecting a sense of anxiety. Not only what you reflect on matters, but watch this, how you reflect matters. See, watch when God rested because he, he models rest for us. When God rested, what did he reflect on? Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Then God saw that everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So that evening and the morning were the sixth day. Here's what God's reflecting on. Every time he makes something, he stepped back and he goes, that's good. What are you saying, Pastor Dell? How do we respond to that model of reflection? Here's what I'm saying. You have not fully reflected in a biblical sense until you land on knowing and believing that God is doing good in your life. Well, let me say it in a different way, just in case you didn't catch that. See, God steps back, watch this, and he reflects on his own goodness. You won't be reflecting right until you learn how to reflect on the goodness of God. Well, pastor, you always talk to us about being real. Are you telling me uh, if I'm sick, I'm not supposed to tell people that I'm sick? I was preaching in a mega church one time. It was a Word of Faith church, and I had forgot about that. And so I was moving in signs and wonders, and I wanted to see people healed. So I said, hey, if you need healing from any sickness, everybody just stand up on your feet. Now, there are thousands of people in this church. Jay Choi, nobody stood up. Now, I'm not that prophetic, but I'm watching glasses in the audience. So we at least got some glaucoma or some farsightedness or something. And then I realized, oh, I'm in a word of faith church. They're not allowed to say I'm sick. Okay, watch this. How many of you are healed, but you're waiting for the manifestation of your healing? Everybody stood up, right? See, and and some of the the demented teaching in the word of faith, and, and they had a great movement, and there's some great stuff that we learned from there, but it taught us how to lie. It taught us how to tell people we're, we're doing okay when we're struggling. We killed the kids on the way home from church. We beat the husband on the way to church. It's like, and we're sitting up here lying, and you're depressed, and you're messed up. And like, how are you doing? I'm good, blessed and highly favored. You ever want to scare a Christian next time they ask you how you're doing? Tell them the truth. See, here's the thing I love about David, because as you reflect on the Psalms, you see that David is absolutely honest. We often mischaracterize David as being bipolar because his emotions seem to be up and down. David is not clinically bipolar. Guess what? He's honest. 
But here's the thing that you find out about David, that he would confess the issue. He would talk to you about his struggle, but he would always land on the goodness of God. He would say things like, day and night, tears have become my food. Oh, soul, why are thou downcast? And then watch this. But hope in God. You've got to learn because some of us aren't honest enough to be healed. Honesty is the price that you've got to pay to be healed. You've got to admit, you know what? I am angry. You know what? My mom did her best, but she didn't raise me to the capacity where I felt loved. You've got to be able to admit, you know what? I, I do have cancer. Whether God heals me at the altar or whether God heals me in chemo, it's what I'm going through. Well, Pastor Dell, where does faith come in? Faith comes in when you acknowledge the facts but admit the truth. Ugh, that, was, that made me feel my shando real quick. When you admit the facts, or excuse me, when you state the facts, but you learn how to admit or confess the truth, what does that look like? It looks like me saying, Pastor Dell, I, I got a bad doctor's report, but I know what the word says. The word says, by his stripes, I am healed. The word says that uh, uh, healing is the children's bread. We, we've got to understand that the same spirit raised Jesus up from the dead, now quickens my mortal body. See, that's where you land. You've got to go through the valley of, of the issue, but you've got to land on the mountaintop of the truth. See, that's what reflecting looks like. See, this is where we mess up because most of us stop, at refle stop reflecting at the point of our need. And that's why we're weary. Because all we think about is what God's not doing. And you know where a lot of that comes from? It comes from comparison. Most of us would be great if we didn't see what God was doing in Brother Anthony's life. But we start seeing God bless Anthony and we start blessing his family, starts blessing his wife, starts blessing. Well, I don't know why God blesses him like that. He wears a hat to church. He don't even wear a suit. I wear a suit. And we start comparing ourselves and we start reflecting on our lack, then producing anxiety instead of going, you know what? I'm going to be honest, Lord. I'm a little jealous of what he's experiencing. But, Lord, I'm going to bless it so that you can multiply it. But I believe that you're no respecter of persons, that what you did in his life, you can do it in my life. See, many of us stop and we fall into deep, dark depression and anxiety because we don't land in our reflection on the goodness of God. All right, let me take it a little farther and hurt a few more feelings. And many of us don't know the goodness of God because we don't know the word of God. Let me find my help for a second. We live in one of the most biblically illiterate generations ever known to the history of Bible reading, and we can't understand why we're so discouraged. I promise you, and I believe every Christian needs to have at least two therapists, but we wouldn't need as much therapy if we had a life in the word. Some of you don't need counseling. Some of you do need counseling and an exorcism. But not all of y'all need counseling. Some of y'all just need to start memorizing scripture again. So when the enemy starts attacking your mind, you start saying, I am the head and not the tail. I am above and not I am a lender to the nations and I'm not a borrower. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am a child and a joint heir with Christ. Y'all not getting happy with me. You've got to know who you are in God, but you will never know who you are in God if you don't know his word. Let me tell you something. The word of God is the vocabulary of your faith. How do you know what you have access to if you haven't read the Testament and will? This thing lets me know I may be discouraged right now, but this isn't the end point because all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called to a pur his purpose. So, Pastor Dell, this is what I know. If it ain't good yet, God's not done yet. And you start encouraging. Some, okay, let me, I'm here now. Let me just go for it. Some of you need to grow up. It's time to stop being a baby Christian. You've been going to church for 10 and 15 years. You shouldn't need some. 
somebody to encourage you every single week. You ought to learn how to be your own prophet. Just take out your finger, point yourself in the mirror, and start prophesying over yourself and start saying, I will live and not die. I will be everything that God's called me to be and start seeing God strengthen you. But none of that happens if you don't learn how to reflect on the goodness of God. I'm not dismissing your pain. I'm going through my own. But I refuse to let the enemy have victory by me reflecting on only what God's not doing. Now, listen, I, I've got to reflect on, on, on the pain. I, I can't bypass it. A lot of us like to kind of bypass it, and, and if I don't see my trouble, my trouble don't see me. That's not how it works. I, I, I've got to look at my pain. I just can't stay in my pain. I've got to reflect on the goodness of God. Here's a couple of ways that you can, excuse me, here's a couple of ways that you can reflect on the goodness of God. Number one, you can get into the Word. Number two, you can get around prophetic people. It's hard to be discouraged around prophetic people. Because they just never seem to get it. They, they're just always on a different level. You, some of you get mad at me because it's like, oh, you know, I understand what you're going through. But here's what I see in the spirit. Oh, dang it. And you know why that is? Because some of us, we, it's time to take down the balloons. It's time to get a refund on the cake. Because some of us don't want transformation. We just want a nice pity party. I don't want a pity party. I want to live in victory. Man, this is good stuff. I'm blessing myself. Not only what you reflect on matters, Junior, but how you reflect matters. Are you landing like God? If, if God models for us rest and he consistently lands on this thing where he looks at even himself because there was nobody to praise him, so he decided, I might as well praise myself. <laughs> it is good. Here's the crazy part. You remember that scripture? Y'all not going to like this one. Paul said this. It, Excuse me, not, not Paul. The psalmist said this. He said, it was good that I was afflicted, that I might know the decrees of the Lord. Because yeah. some of you are like Job, where Job said, Lord, I look to my right. That's my right, sorry. That's your right. Uh -huh. I didn't graduate from birth, so bear with me. Um, I looked to my right, and I could not see God. Then he said, I looked to my left, and I couldn't even perceive him. It's not that God wasn't present, because we know theologically God is everywhere at all times, but he didn't sense his tangible presence. And I've been there when, when times are hard, and it's painful, and you just have to trek it, because sometimes you've got to learn how to trust God when you can't trace God. Yeah. I've had some days where I wake up and I pray, and I don't feel the shine, though reading the Bible, and it might as well be Chinese because I can't understand it. I, I've had some days where I fasted, and I go, Lord, ain't no breakthrough. I, I just feel like calories are losing, but I'm still going through what I'm going through. Okay, I'm the only one. All right, I'll preach to myself then. But here's what, here's what the psalmist said. He said, if you can't find anything good that's happening in your life, here's the one good thing that you can find in your life. God, you're teaching me who you are. Because I knew theologically you were a healer before, but now that I'm sick, I realize that you're a healer. Before I was burnt, busted, and disgusted, I, I knew that you were my encourager, but now that I'm going through and you're sustaining me, I know by revelation. See, here's the problem. We stick with information and don't write on revelation. How do we get information to become revelation? Because reading the scriptures is not enough. You need the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. That's one of the of the Holy Spirit, that he brings illumination and revelation. How do I get it to be revelation? Here's how. Information becomes revelation when you live according to the scriptures of God. When you learn to be sure-footed, and you say, I will not be moved because I know what the word of God says. And all of a sudden, you start coming into a place where you go through what you go through, and at the end of your story, you come out with revelation. 
that God is who he says he is, and nobody can change your mind. Somebody say yes. Are you catching something tonight? That's reflection. The second part of resting biblically, the Sabbath rest, is not just reflection, but watch this. It's refreshment. Everybody say refreshment. refreshment. Webster defines refreshment as the giving of strength or energy. But here's what I want to tell you in my deduction of Scripture. Biblical refreshment, watch this, is the exchange of your burdens for God's burdens. One more time. Biblical refreshment is when you exchange your heavy burdens for God's light ones. Now, you thought I preached hard a minute ago. It's about to get real rough. Buckle your seatbelts. Tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Some of you didn't look at your neighbor at all. Look at your neighbor, say neighbor. You need this word. Let's look at our theme scripture for a second. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Come to me, all you who are... Uh, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, your re find rest for your souls. Watch this, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let me say this, and this isn't in my note. If your yoke and your burden are, are heavy and, and difficult, you're not carrying the burden of the Lord. You're carrying your burdens. Let's dive into that for a little bit. There are three things that God tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. The first thing he says, he says, come to me. I'm trying to teach you how to be refreshed for a second. The first step is that you simply got to come to the Lord. Can I ask you an honest question? How's your devotional life? Mm. Right, it's rhetorical. You don't need to answer. Just a moment of reflection. But I want to ask you for a second. Is your consistent? Is your fasting life consistent? Is your life in community and church consistent? Because if you ever want to be refreshed, I can't give you three steps. I got one for you. Come to me. That's what Jesus said. See, here's the crazy part. We will buy these books. Spend, let me save you some money because you'll spend $20 here, $30 here on these self-help books. You don't need self-help. You just need to learn how to come to Jesus. I know this isn't very deep and this isn't the revelatory point that you wanted, but many of you know this, but you're not living this. And so you find yourself constantly getting burdened because let me tell you, life will drain you if you do it right. Some of you are like, oh, I'm just never drained. You're not doing anything. You ain't ministering to anybody. You're not witnessing. You're not getting rejected for your faith. So, of course, you sit there and just be your little refreshed self. But I'm talking to all the soldiers out there who find themselves, because if you're honest, don't sit here and lie to me. The Bible says even young men grow weary yeah. and faint. We all need refreshment. If God sat down and rested, what makes you think that you don't need to rest? So we all need rest and refreshment. But if we're going to be refreshed, the first step, if we're going to live from a place of refreshment, you have to learn to consistently come to Jesus. It's not enough to live from encounter to encounter. I love encounters. Like, let me, I will, I'm telling you, I will jump over you in line, do a backflip in a cartwheel to get to the altar and get slain in the Holy Ghost. I love it. But what do you do when Monday comes? What do you do when Tuesday comes and your coworker, you're just like, Lord... I don't want my cross to be Velcro. I want to stay on it, Lord. Help me stay on the cross, but I feel like I'm about to jump off. Let me tell you, the Sunday wears off. And watch this. It's supposed to. Because you're supposed to sustain your relationship with God with a relationship with God. Yeah. Not a visitation, but a habitation. Yeah. He wants to, oh, the old saints used to say, and he walks with me. And he talks with me. Uh -huh. 
and he tells me that I am his own. So are you walking with Jesus on a consistent basis? Come to me is the first step. But you're going to have to break your shame. Pastor Dale, you don't know what I did last night. He does, and he still wants you to come. Pastor Dale, okay, you know what kind of church we are. You don't know who I did last night. Yeah, I, I don't. But I promise you, he does. And he still says, come to me. Pastor Dale, it's been years since I've come to church. I know, I know, it's been years. Just renew your membership, it's all right, and come to him. Pastor Dell, and, and maybe the deal is that we stay away from God because we don't really believe that he's a refresher. Hmm. Let me just keep going. If they don't like that point, move on. All right. Um, can I ask you a real quick question before I need, move to the next point? Just sticking in this point where I say, come to me. Who do you call on in your time of need? I am at a place in my life, Pastor Rhonda, where I don't just want him. I need him. I'm looking at people who are living without him. I'm barely making it with him. And I'm going, how the heaven or hell are you making it without him? I don't just want him. I need him. And I want to ask you a question, Clyde. Are you living from a place where you desperately need God? Or is he a convenience for your appetite? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, let me just go there for a second, because I, I saw this online, and so I might as well repeat it. Uh, many of us treat church in the presence of God like a hospital. We just come and check in when something's wrong. Come on, we got an emergency. My marriage isn't working. Fix me, Jesus. Fix me. Jesus fixes us. We forget about him, and we start going through some financial issues. Oh, Jesus, my bank account is low. I'm a tithe, because they told me if I sow, I'll reap a harvest. Okay, fix my money, Jesus. And we have no lifestyle with Christ. So we keep finding ourselves getting in the same rut. And we don't understand why weird Christians can go through what they're going through and still have peace. How are they going through what they're going through and they still have joy? It's because it's not a visitation for them. It's a lifestyle. All right, let me take it farther. Ugh, I don't mean to get angry, but I just think we've got to clean up some stuff in our walk with Christ. Because some of us, we, let me tell you, the reason you keep getting drunk, sister girl, brother man, is not because you don't know how to party sober. It's because you think that that's what's going to refresh you. When really, the refreshment is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't mean to get corny, but we got a victory outreach pastor here, and this is the way that they would talk in their church. Um, you don't need to get high when you have the most high. Like, I know what the word, well, Pastor Joe, what do you think about weed? It's just, you know, it's natural. God made it. You know what he also made? A prayer life. You know what he also made? He made knees for me to find calluses on so I could seek his face. How do you think the older generation made it? I remember walking into the house, and my grandmother was barely saved. I mean, she was holding on by a limb. But I'd walk into the house late at night, and you'd hear her calling on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You ain't heard a testimony about a grandmama praying in so long. Because grandma out there twerking. Not, not grandma. <laughs> Definitely not grandma. grandma. My grandma was saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. And here's the dangerous part, that many of us, we don't even think about Jesus. Can I ask you a really quick question, and then we'll move on, because I've stuck here too long. If I watch TV about 20 minutes a day, you know, I'm getting ready, turn on the TV, and I put on the news and all that stuff, and I watch it for about 20 minutes a day, nobody in this room would go, oh, you worship TV. What makes you think that because you spend 20 minutes a day with God in the beginning of your day that you're worshiping him? 
Some of you are spending 20 minutes at the beginning of your day so that you don't have to think about them for the rest of the day. And you don't understand why you're tired and burnt out. You're not tired because of your workload. You're tired for the lack of sitting at his feet. No, no, no. I don't have any good steps for you of like, if you just do this tangibly, come on, give me practical steps. I don't have practical steps for you. I'm telling you, get your prayer life together and watch God re-strengthen you. Here's what the Bible says. Those who wait on the Lord. We're so anxious. We can't spend two minutes in his presence. Well, Pastor Dan, you know, I just don't think it, I don't know why I'm preaching so hard. It's because Pastor Rhonda's here. Um, I'm Pastor Dell, I just, you know, it just, uh, it doesn't matter the amount of time that you spend with Jesus. It just, you know, I can just spend five minutes a day to keep the devil away, and, and that's just enough. You know, God just loves that and praise God. Then tell me why when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his three closest boy, to the Garden of Gethsemane, they fall asleep. He gives them three chances to repent, and every time he finally comes to him and says, could you not tarry for just one hour? The word tarry means to wait on the Lord to pray and seek his face. And he said, for at least one hour. Jesus is kind of telling us, he goes, one hour is like the minimum. <laughs> oh, it's real quiet. Right, okay, we lost all of our Pentecost. Now, and, and see, Jesus says, at least one hour. Now, now hear me, because there are religious people who spend hours with God and don't know how to treat their neighbor. Come on, stop speaking in tongues, speaking hello and say, I'm sorry. If you spend time, loads of time with God, and it's not changing and transforming you, you've got quantity, but you don't have quality. Yeah. Well, which one is it, Pastor Dell? Is it quantity with the Lord or quality? Ask your spouse. In the hood, we say it like this. It's both of them. With two Fs. That's, what, that's all one word for those who don't know. Both of them. It's quantity and quality. Come on, ladies. Don't leave me hanging on this one. I've been on a few dates. I know. You like some quality. I've spent... Lord God, I spent some money. I want a W-2 on all the money I spent on dating. But I'll deal with God in heaven on that one. Uh, but, but every person who's in a relationship knows it's not enough to take me out for a good dinner once or twice a year. Come on, because we've got a lot of CEOs in the church. Christmas, Easter only. Come on! I feel good. I'm free today. But the lack of consistency in the quantity and the quality of your walk with God. Now, you may not be able to jump in there and spend three hours with the Lord. I get it. You might have to work in there. Like, I'm about to go to the gym. I'm saying that by faith. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. We've got to say it again because so he didn't say it with us. Come, somebody say amen. amen. Come on, I'm going to go back to the gym because uh, I want to be half the man that I am now. All right. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm doing all right now, but I'm just saying I'm kind of cute. Um, when I go to the gym, if I compare myself to the big bulky dudes lifting the weights over there, I'm going to get discouraged, take my shower, get my, because I go to Planet Fitness, get my pizza on Monday, and I'm going to walk out. That's what I'm doing. And if you start comparing your walk with somebody else's walk, the same thing's going to happen. You need to learn that you can get there, but it's going to take some buildup. So you might not be able to spend an hour. What about spending 15 minutes a day and just being consistent with that 15 minutes? Man, I did a month, and now this is easy. It was hard when I first started. Come on, don't look at me in that tone of voice. You know what I'm talking about. You sit down there, and you start praying. You're like, Lord, I just pray for this, and I pray for that. And you start praying because you, you're running out of stuff to pray for. So, Lord, Africa, yeah, just, I don't know all the nations, but you know all of the nations in Africa. Lord, pray for China and Mongolia. And, Lord, we pray for Brazil and America and all this stuff. And then you look up, two minutes. <laughs> All right, let me see. Um, 
we pray for the capitals of all those nations, Lord. And so we pray for Ghana and we pray. <laughs> Come on, I know I'm not the only one out there. You start reading the Bible. And what did you do in youth group? You said, I'm going to open it. And wherever the Lord shows me, that's why I'm going to read it. Just, but, oh, Leviticus. Hmm. Let's try this again. We're going to try this again. Come on, Lord. I got this. I got this. Here we go. Here we go. It's like, you know, spiritual Russian roulette. Like, mm. oh, Habakkuk, huh? Let me just turn to John. <laughs> Here's what I need you, if you're taking notes, please write this down. There is only grace for the pace of your race. There is only grace for the pace of your race. I can't compare myself with Bill and, and Rhonda. I can't compare myself with Sohi and Matt. I can't compare myself with anybody else. I am simply running after God, not against anyone else. So come to me, he says. The second thing he says is not just come to me. This is important. He says, take my yoke. Now, you know Jesus was a carpenter, and, and some church history says, and, and we don't have this to be factually true, it's just kind of church rumor in, in history, says that Jesus was known for the yokes that he would create in his carpentry. We don't hear anything about his carpentry in the New Testament, but Jesus would be familiar with yokes. In case you don't know what a yoke is, a yoke would be this contraption that would have kind of a loop at the bottom, and it would go around the necks of the heifers or the cows, and it would go around uh, two of them. One of the reasons why the Bible says that you should not be unequally yoked in terms of your romantic partnership with anybody is because what would happen is that in two animals being yoked, they would go together and the weaker one would have to be carried eventually by the stronger one. And because the yoke was around their neck, the, the fact that they had to carry the weaker one would end up killing the stronger one. I've watched people start dating unbelievers and start getting choked. I mean, you come on fire, and now you don't really come to church anymore because you're yoked up. Ooh. Listen, I'm going to help you with these dating apps real quick because she might be fine, but if she doesn't have a prayer life, that's not the one for you. You're unequally yoked, and what's going to happen is that you're going to have to carry the weight of the spiritual relationship, and you end up losing your own faith. Whew, let me get off of that because it got tense in here. Unclench your booty cheeks. We're going to make it through this. We're all right. But Jesus, watch this. He says, now I had to teach you that principle for this reason. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. What Jesus is saying there is that you're not yoked up alone. That I'm yoked up with you. So when you get weak, I've got the strength enough to pull you. See, Jesus can be equally yoked. Because he'll never die. He's got everlasting strength. Jesus can be yoked. That's why he doesn't get nervous at your lack of faith. The disciples came and they finally got honest. They said, God, we believe, but help our unbelief. We've got to get honest. Lord, I, Lord I, there are some days where I wake up and I'm like, Lord, I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like seeing the saints. They are cute and beautiful, but you can keep the whole ministry, God. I want to go on vacation. Send me to Wowie so I can relax. And all of a sudden, I feel the yoke. Oh, okay, let me take my shower, make sure I smell decent because people be hugging me and stuff. Let me get there and go for it. And, and there's some days where I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my word, Junior, every single day. I know I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to, but if I'm honest, there's some days where I'm like, Bible, you can sit right there. I got some Netflix to catch up on, and all of a sudden, yo. Y'all not talking to me. There, there are some days I don't feel like evangelizing and sharing my faith. There's some days I just want to eat my food at the restaurant, Connie, but the Holy Ghost starts bothering me about the waiter. Just go, go pray for him. Go, go. Like, Lord, I want to eat. No, go, go pray for him. Because what happens is when you, get equal, when you get yoked up with Jesus, you don't get to make your own decisions. 
See, let me tell you what Christianity is. It's a big game. Listen up. It's a big game of follow the leader. Whatever you see him do, that's what you need to do. But many of us are not yoked up with Jesus because we've allowed him to be Savior, but we've not allowed him to be Lord. What's the difference? Savior, he comes and saves us. Lord means owner. He owns us. You know, my clothes didn't have, you know, a factor to play in the deciding of what I was going to wear today because I own them. I didn't sit down with my clothes and go, hey, do you feel like, um, you, you feel like jumping on me real quick and, uh, and uh, let's go be cute for a second because I do look cute. Uh, let's go be cute for a second. Say amen. amen. Thank you. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, why? Because I own it. They don't get to make their own decisions. You don't own your kids, but they don't even get to make their own decisions. So Jesus says, let me put my yoke upon you. Because my yoke, watch this, it's not even hard. It's easy. Here's the deal. Write this down if you're taking notes. The question is not um, if you're yoked up or not. The question is what are you yoked to? Because yeah. triumph, you've got to be yoked to something. And, and before you say, I'm not yoked, what gets your money and what gets your time? Ooh. Your calendar and your bank account will prove what you're yoked up on. Some of you are yoked to friends and you realize friendship. Some of you are yoked up to your uh, uh, identity crisis of a social media or your need to perform. Some of you are yoked up to family members and to parents. Some of you are yoked up to careers. You're yoked up, and whatever your career, whenever your job needs more time, guess what? I'm there. I'm there. Let me get my, I got to get my overtime because you know it's about to be April, and I'm getting that return, and we're going to Disneyland for all of two days. I got to be yoked up, and, and you do whatever your yoked up tells you to do. But then Jesus comes, and he's like, hey, I want you to, let me pray about it. Let me get confirmation. Let me get a dream, a vision, a backflip. Lord, if it's really you that wants me to pray and start coming to church regularly, send somebody in the middle of the mall to walk up to me and tell me. Nobody had to tell you who to date. Nobody had to tell you what job to pick. You barely prayed about what school you were going to go to. But when it comes to Jesus, that's how I can tell you're not yoked up. Because Jesus doesn't get to tell you what to do. I know that hurts your feelings because we live in a generation, don't nobody tell me what to do. I'm my own person. You're not saved. Good preaching, pastor. This is good stuff. I like this. Salvation is not your church attendance. It's your yoke. If he's Savior but not Lord, you're not saved. If he can save you but he can't control you, Well, why would I let God control you? Because his thoughts are higher than yours. His ways are higher than yours. And he's a good God. This is why Paul consistently says, I am a bondservant to Christ. Because he knows that his master is not like any master that we've had on earth. He's actually a good one. Listen, you don't make good decisions. We can tell by your dating career. I'm going to look at everybody so everybody catch this one. You're not going to look at me in that tone of voice and get away with it. Uh Uh-huh. What would happen if you would just start letting Jesus make decisions for you? Well, I don't really hear from God. What if you got around people who did? Because there is counsel in the multitude. There is wisdom in the counsel of multitudes. Some of you, man, you stay away from Christians because you know Jesus is going to yoke you up. Over this last two months, I've been begging you, come and hang out with me. Come and have a one-on-one with me. And some of you are like, nope, that's not what I'm doing. Because as soon as he finds out, he's going to try to get me yoked with Jesus. Absolutely. Because the yoke you're attached to is killing you. You are tired. You are burnt out. 
And it's not because of the workload. It's because of the yoke load. Not only does Jesus say, come to me. Not only does he say, take my yoke. But he says, learn from me. I told you before that Christianity is a big game of follow the leader. But in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, the Bible says, when Jesus heard what had happened, uh, let me give you a little bit of context. John the Baptist, his cousin, his boy, um, has just been beheaded. Watch what happens with Jesus in response to John the Baptist being beheaded. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13. Oh, I'm doing really good on time. I'm proud of you, Dale. Thank you. Um, when Jesus heard, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a, everybody say this word with me, say solitary. solitary. To a solid, not isolated, solitary place. I'm going to break that down in a moment. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sickness. Notice that Jesus practiced solitude and not isolation. Let me talk to the introverts for a moment. I just, I can't do people right now. I just need to take a step back and not do people. And what you end up doing is you go to a place of isolation and not solitude. And isolation will never refresh you. Solitude refreshes you. Okay? What's the difference, Pastor Dell? Solitude is engagement. Isolation is escape. One more time. Solitude requires engagement. Isolation is simply escaping. I just need, I can't, I can't do church right now. I just need to be away. And you just sit there. You don't tune in. You don't check in with God. You don't have a prayer. And you just isolate yourself. And you come back into community and you easily get drained again. Why? Because you were in isolation, not solitude. See, resting doesn't mean that you're not working, because sometimes you can work from a place of rest. Okay. See, the difference between resting and striving is all about the heart and the intent. Is your heart, is your soul at rest in what you're doing? This is so good. See, we have to be a people, I, I, some of the time, some, every now and then we, we do a silent retreats and we have moments of silitude, solitude. It is hard. I got ADHD, I'm black and Pentecostal. I don't like to be quiet. I'll let her have that one because she's a great assistant. Um, but I hate being quiet. But I found that if I'm doing all the talking, I can't be doing the listening. Let me go old school for a second, Connie. My grandmother used to tell me, boy, you got two ears and one mouth. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you're supposed to talk. And in our relationship, for the most part, we have monologues with God and not dialogues with God. And so we sit here and we're like, and could, oh, let me, ah, oh, Jesus. Please say, Lord. Okay, let me, I'll say it. I don't know if you give me permission. I'll find out in a second. Um, what would your prayer look like if you could not say sorry or give me? If you couldn't ask the Lord for anything and you didn't have a chance to repent for anything, would you have a prayer life? Most of us stay right there in our prayer life. And we don't know how to rest in the presence of God. For all those who want to move in the prophetic, here's the easiest way to move in the prophetic. Don't try. Just rest. Yeah. When I am striving, 
to get into the prophetic and hear the word of the Lord, it feels like the heavens are shut. Lord, give me a word for this person. And I used to, as a pastor and a prophetic uh, evangelist, I used to give in to the pressure all the time. People would come up to me because I'd prophesy over a couple of different folks. Um, it's really because I was looking for my wife, so I just prophesied over until I found her. Um, <laughs> but folks would come up to me and be like, Pastor, Pastor, can you give me a prophetic word? And y'all, I would really try. I mean, and I had to repent because some of it I was just lying. Like if they were, if they were a plus size person, I'd be like, the Lord's showing me you, you got knee problems. That, yeah. Don't judge me. Don't judge yourself. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you my testimony. And what was happening is I couldn't tap into the prophetic because I was striving. I was prophesying from a place of strife and not from a place of rest. You know when the prophetic comes on me? Some of you know my story with Johnny down at Lazy Dog. Some of you were there. Well, I was sitting at Lazy Dog, the restaurant down there, and I was just minding my own business, eating my calories, and I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I'll call it bothering. The, this person started bothering me in the spirit. That's when the Lord starts tapping me and going, I, I have something for you. I'm, Lisa, I'm sitting eating. That's all. I just want to, come on, I just want to turn it off, Lord. Just, but the Lord won't turn it off. I'm just eating, and all of a sudden, I'm like, and he's not a believer, so now I've got to figure out how do I tell him the word of the Lord without telling him it's the word of the Lord. Figure this out. And I didn't have enough time to process, so I just looked at Johnny. I said, Johnny, you used to go to church, didn't you? He goes, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're good. Um, <laughs> did you used to go to Pentecostal church? He goes, yeah. Um, I said, what ethnicity are you? He said, Brazilian. He said, did you, I said to him, I looked at him, and I, Kelly's not here, but she'll be a witness for this. I, I, said, um, I said, did you go to this church in South San Francisco? And he starts freaking out, right? Now, here's the thing. Before I started prophesying, I didn't have anything. But here's what the Bible says. The disciples went to Jesus and said, you're sending us out, but what do we say? Jesus said, if you just trust me, open up your mouth, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. Some of you can't move in the power because you need to understand everything. you got to move without understanding sometimes and trust that God's going to give it to you if you're moving from a place of rest. Now, if you're using the prophetic so that you can look more like a powerful Christian, be nervous. So I'm talking to Johnny, and, it's just, and he's kind of looking at me strange. I said, Johnny, i got to tell you something. And since you're Pentecostal and you grew up, I, let me tell you what I felt like the Lord told me. I felt like, man, you've been backslidden and all that stuff, but God wants you back home. And let me tell you, God actually says that you're not supposed to be a wait, waiter. You actually got business ideas, and I see you, like, working with your hands, like, maybe construction or something. And he's like, dude! <laughs> yeah. Now, let me translate that for church person. Uh, glory! <laughs> That's the secular version, right? He looks at me and goes, dude! Like, how'd you... Like, what the heck? And I just started telling him, man, God, and we built a relationship. Johnny, his girlfriend, we're still trying to get him to really come. They came to my house and hung out with me and all this stuff. And all of that came from me just minding my own business. But here's, let, let me tell you what it really came from. There were moments where Jesus, I don't know if he was physically overwhelmed, but the crowds were a lot. And there were these moments where the Bible says that he would steal away and spend time with God. Why does that matter? Because there came a point, love, where he walks up to his disciples who are with this older gentleman who's a little frustrated. Because his son has a bunch of stuff going on. He's got demons and sickness and all that stuff. Because I'm frustrated. Because you're little deacons and no know nothing. Like, how did they travel with you? My boy's still sick. Jesus looks at him, walks past him, heals the little boy, gets him delivered. And the disciples are like, whoa, how'd you do that? And Jesus says, some only come out by fasting and praying. Here's the deal. This happens in less than a chapter. I don't read any point where Jesus saw the problem and then go, you know what, let me go on a three-day fast. Be right back. He had no time. 
Here's why we don't walk in power. Because we're trying to withdraw where we haven't deposited. See, Jesus could withdraw in that moment because he had deposited in Mark chapter 5 where it says early in the morning he went to go spend time with his father. Are you depositing so that God can withdraw from you in the day of trouble? Let me tell you real quick, and I'm almost done. El, you can get ready to hop on the keys. I'm, I'm about to land this plane. This life isn't about you, friends. Your whole prayer life is about you. Your whole career is about you. It's all about your dreams and aspirations. But can I tell you something? You're a missionary to your job. I, I look at Jay Choi, and I'm so proud of that dude back there, and watching all that God's doing through him. One of the things when we talk and he converses with me, he talks to me about the, and I won't name drop or whatever, but he talks to me about the influential people that he sits with. And when he talks to me, I'm thinking, man, that's really cool. I want to meet, you know, so-and-so and such-and-such. And, like, I, who are they? <laughs> I don't even know, right? But the thing I love is that he'll come and go, Pastor Dell, they don't know Jesus, but I'm trying to get them to come to church. He almost says it like a, a spy, right? Like, don't tell them. But I'm working on them. It's like, would you mind having lunch with them? Because he understands that he's a missionary, not a venture capitalist. See, this message doesn't matter if you're selfish. It's hard to forgive when you're selfish. It's hard to rest when you're selfish. Because when you're selfish, you need to constantly produce to fulfill you. But Jesus says, I need you to come to me, yoke up with me, and then the last thing I need you to do is learn from me. Jesus deposited a spirituality that he could withdraw from in the day of need. I want to give you three enemies to your rest. Number one, FOMO, fear. One of the biggest enemies to your rest is fear. Well, if I stop, then what happens? If I'm not constantly, see, one of the things I love about the Sabbath, and I'll do maybe a good teaching or a series on the Sabbath one day, one of the things that I love about the Sabbath is that it teaches you that you are not God, that you don't have unlimited bandwidth, that there's a need for you to rest. But then it also forces you to trust that God is at work when you're not. Lord, if I'm not pounding my kids upside their head about Jesus all the time, how are they ever going to know? You'd be surprised what the Holy Spirit can do. Lord, if I'm not chastising my parents about their bad behavior, how are they going to know? You'd be surprised what a prayer life will change. When I was a youth pastor, I really should say youth master. It's a little rough around the park. When I was a youth pastor, I used to tell my young people, I would pay you to spend more time talking to Jesus about your friends than you would your friends about Jesus. One more time. I'd rather you spend time praying for your friends than you talking to your friends about Jesus. Not that I don't want you to talk to your friends about Jesus. I need you to talk to your friends about Jesus. But if it goes unempowered from the Holy Spirit, it's going to be void and powerless. But we need to trust that God is at work when we're not. Let me tell you something, boo-boo. You're not going to miss out on what God has for you. What God has for you is for you. You may be 37, good-looking, single, and a pastor of a church plant. But God has a special someone for you. I feel like that word was for somebody over here. Um, here's the second enemy of rest, guilt and shame. Some of you can't even leave the dishes in the sink overnight because you hear your parents' voice in the back of your head. It's two dishes. 
you will not get cockroaches by tomorrow. I just, and here's the deal. You will never overcome shame until you learn how to sit in it. Yeah, Jesus wants to break your shame. I I love this. We love to quote John chapter 8. If you know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I believe the truth will set you free, but not until it's done with you. The truth will set you free when it's done smacking you around and you're sitting in that shame and you're battling. Ah, the dishes, the dishes. Okay, let me just, Pastor Dell said it's very spiritual to leave the two dishes overnight and just watch Netflix and chill out for a little bit doesn't feel spiritual. I feel like I should be doing something. And guess what? It's going to take a couple practices. You might have to binge watch a show on Saturday, spiritually. This is so weird, huh? But I'm, I'm trying to help you to, to live in a way where you're victorious and not burnt out every two weeks. I promise you it's not your workload, it's your rhythm. But some of us haven't fought the feelings of guilt and shame. Let me go a little farther. Some of you would be refreshed by other people. But because you're so filled with shame and guilt, you don't believe anybody wants to hang out with you. Pastor Dell stands up here every Sunday. Hey, take somebody out to coffee this week. I'm just going to slowly back out to church and maybe nobody will see me and run to the car. (laughs) And you never overcome the shame because you never face the shame. And so you never have anybody who actually tells you, actually, you know what? You ain't that ugly. You actually kind of cute. You know what? You're not weird. You're a little eccentric, but you're weird. I mean, not weird, rather. It's like, actually, you know what? You're actually a fun person. But you never open yourself up to that because you never face the shame and the guilt. Refreshment doesn't just come by sitting in the presence of God. Sometimes you got to sit in the presence of God that's been wrapped in human flesh. Okay, the last one. You've got fear. You've got guilt. And here's the last one. Excuse me, last, I have four. The third one, pride. You actually believe that if you stand still, so will the world. I hate to break this to you, and I don't know that much about science, but I do know this. The world doesn't revolve around you, and when you die, I promise you that your job will have a, uh, uh, your job description up before your obituary is up. If I don't do this, if I don't take care of this, my job, how is it going to work out? I promise you. if the resumes are going to come in before your condolences come in. And some of you are running yourself ragged because you believe that you are the one who twirls all the pieces in your life. What if you would step back? One of the beauties, and can I be a little vulnerable? I'm going to do it anyway, but it feels polite to ask. Um, Over this last two months, and as I've been in the pulpit, I just, first couple Sundays, I'm just sweating. Like, oh, I should just grab the mic and just, come on. I wish I could sing like Sohi sometimes. It's just... How you do it so he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to grab the mic and just help push it. Or, man, I wish I'm going to preach that and I'm going to preach it better. And just sitting back there, I'm just letting you know what's going on. And what's really happening is I'm thinking in the back of my head, as the pastor of the church, if I don't get up there and do it, it won't get done. But I'm watching these folks get up here and preach the house down and folks are getting transformed. They're getting touched. I'm getting text messages. Somebody texted me about Pastor Ron. He said, who is that woman? What church does she go to? I was like, I won't tell you what church she goes to because we need all the members we can get, but I'll send you some resources, right? <laughs> but even as a pastor, I step back and realize, man, I don't have to do it all because I can let God do it. Somebody say yes. Here's the last one, and you can start playing something romantic because I'm going to land the plane here. The enemies of our rest are, number one, fear. 
Number two, guilt and shame. Number three, pride and arrogance. But here's the last one in the, the purpose of this message. Busyness. And I want to talk for a moment about the sin of busyness. Have you gotten anything so far tonight? You guys remember um, when COVID first came in in those first two weeks, Kevin, we couldn't go anywhere, do anything. I got really anxious when it first happened. And I kind of got mad at God because the Lord told me to plant a church in 2020, but he forgot to tell me about COVID. And so I was like, um, come here, Lord. So what I'm going to do, because people already think pastors don't work. I'm about to overwork and go into overdrive. I'm not about to let COVID stop me. I'm about to, I don't know what I can do, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be on Zoom calls. I'm going to be doing all this stuff. And I'm going to just get busy because I don't want people to judge me and call me lazy. I know I'm the only one who struggles with this. I don't want people to see me as that pastor. See, all those pastors, they want your money. They don't ever do nothing. They just, all they do is preach. That's like, no, that's not about to be me. And here's what the Lord told me, Lisa. He said, that's not what you're about to do. I don't want you to do anything but hang out. Excuse me, Lord. Give me a scripture for that. He said, blessed are those who come in unity, the brethren, because there is where I command the blessing. If you want me to bless you, just hang out with some folks. Okay, let me get my little circle of ten. And I'm just, you know, hanging out, fellowshipping from time to time. Not really doing anything. We would record our services. Zach was there, Matt was there. We record our services on Sunday night. And we pretend like they were live on Sunday morning. <laughs> the team's laughing, they know. I would always be like, don't y'all be online typing because people are going to know that we're not live. We got to trick them. <laughs> right, <laughs> Lisa. <laughs> and I sat up there and, yo, let me tell you, the first two weeks were really hard. I was like, okay, let me write a sermon. Nope, you're good. Let me put together a little Bible study series. Nope, just chill out. Catch up on some Netflix. Make sure you keep your prayer life strong. Keep your word in the life, your life in the word. Keep it strong. But I just want you to rest. When we got ready to plant our church in the midst of COVID, many of you have heard the story over and over again. We didn't have any money in the bank. We were planning on having about 250000 that I had raised. But because of COVID, most churches had gone down in their giving more than 60%. And so one by one, they called me and said, we don't have any more finances for you. And so $900 in our bank account, which is not enough to even eat dinner in San Francisco. And I'm going, Lord, well, what do you want me to do? I can fundraise. I'm a fundraising guru. Let me just ask some folks and connect with some folks and we'll make it. No, no, no. Don't do anything. Not even an email blast, Lord. Just that's it. Mm -mm. But a week or two beforehand, we got um, what accumulated to about $50,000, which would keep us for another eight months until our tithing and our giving because of your graciousness and, and your generosity would keep us going and surviving. And I watched God in those moments. I miss those days, Calvin. I miss being in city life on Sunday night. And there were some moments where the spirit of God would just sweep through the room. Matt would be up leading worship in his emo style, which I love so much. And just have these deep moments of worship. We knew nobody was caring online, like they're not worshiping online. But while we were in there, we were just, I mean, this is supposed to be a recording, but sha -la 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 -la. so Lena's over there. Lena was coming back to the Lord, and you saw Lena come back to the Lord. 
she came and she, can I tell the truth? Okay, she said yes. Oh, she was jacked up, y'all. She'll tell you herself. She was jacked up. You could see it on her face. But little by little, she'd come every Sunday. Lisa would come, and you know how Lisa is. She's always going into warfare. I take control of the atmosphere. It's like, oh, I thought he had control. Okay, we're good. All right. And then every Sunday, you watch Lena. She came in. She scared me at first. True story. I was like, where's your eyebrows, girl? She didn't have, you know, if you know Lena, Lena always going to look good. She's going to the grocery store, and it's about to be Maybelline, right? And she was just in such a, a, a dark place. I told our team, I said, hey, we got this crew coming. Don't bother them. Just let the Lord work on them. You mean don't tell them or don't pray and don't pray? No, no, no. Just rest and watch what the Lord does. And you saw Lena comes and first couple weeks, nothing really. A couple weeks later, just a couple more weeks later, just turns into that. And now you know Lena. I always tell Lena, I don't even know why you wear makeup to church. Because eventually she's just like, ah! Lena, we're just giving the announcements. Calm down, right? <laughs> but the Spirit of God would just come on her. And that's all we had. We didn't have a Bible study. We didn't have any small groups. We just had rest. We'd get together downstairs in that basement with Sohi and, and the crew, and we'd have farmhouse Thai, and we had blue rice and this big old beef shank, and we'd just eat and fellowship, and we'd tell jokes, and we'd hang out, and there was deep community, and there was no striving just rest. And I watched the Lord in that moment say, you don't have to be busy to establish my kingdom. Because I'm at work when you're not at work. Here's my last story. Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to read a bunch of verses and wrap this up. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also sitting at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with serving, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, you don't even care about what I'm going through. You don't care that my sister has left me to serve all by myself. Therefore, tell her to help me out. Verse 41, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled and busy and you're all over. You just got so much going on. Verse 42, but one thing, one thing, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away. I'm not about to take her away from my feet so that she can help serve some chicken. Your priorities are messed up, Martha. You're not about to lose Miss Church because you're tired from the party you shouldn't have gone to last night anyway. Mary's chosen the better thing. But let me tell you this. Martha's issue is not that she's working. We've got to labor. We don't need any more lazy Christians. We've got to labor. Here's the problem with Martha, and I'm done here. It's not that she's working. It's that when she's given an invitation, an opportunity to come a little bit closer to Jesus, she consumes herself with everything but Jesus. Look at me for a second all across this room. There's an invitation being extended to you tonight. It's not an invitation to join church. It's not an invitation to be a part of some religion. It's an invitation for a burden exchange. 
that you don't have to come to church every Sunday trucking it in. Just, um, I don't want Pastor Dell to text me and be like, where are you at? So I'm going to just come. No, 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 no. What have you been busy with? Have you been eating at the buffet of the world that you have no time for the catering of the Holy Spirit? My, my godson trying if I get to dedicate him. He's, we're dedicating him next week, but, and he's three years old. I told Maya, I was like, it's a little late in the game. He's about to go to college, but I mean, better late than never, right? Um, we were hanging out the other day. Hey, Triumph, did we have fun the other day? Did we go to the movies? What movie did we see? <laughs> You're lying. We saw Ant-Man, right? He said, I have no idea. <laughs> we went to go see Ant-Man, but before we went to go see Ant-Man, we sat down and he loved Burger King. <laughs> it's like, let's go to Burger King. But they didn't have any Burger King at Tamperan. And so we went to Five Guys and I got him a cheeseburger and some fries. And he just sat down there. And if you let Triumph go, he'll just eat all the fries. Just dip them in count. Just go for him, right? But we have a rule. Like, I let him have like three or four fries and then you got to take one bite of hamburger, Right? Because I know that if you just chill out, and not that hamburgers is the greatest thing to eat anyway, but I know if he just chills out on the french fries, he's not going to have any nourishment because those carbohydrates won't sustain him. I've got to get some protein into him. God does not have a problem with you having fun. Girl, he wants you to live your best life. Get out there. Go dating. Please, we need to grow our church. He wants you to go on vacation. He wants you to watch movies. He wants you to do all these things that give your soul life. But he doesn't want you to do it at the cost of your devotion to him. I just don't have time. That means your calendar's packed with too many things. Well, I got to do this for my career. Friend, you're going to die one day and stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, why didn't you have a relationship with me? And your excuse is going to be my career goals. Not valid. Okay, let me try another one because that's not yours. You're not going to be able to tell the Lord, well, you know, my parents were going to get mad if I spent too much time serving at church. My family was going to disown me if I, you know, got really like a Jesus freak anyway. No, no, no. You have to surrender sometimes the good things in life so that you can have the God things in life. Stand on your feet tonight. Next week is Easter, y'all. Super Bowl Sunday. I love it. Faith claps. She knows the right response. I wonder if God wants to renew our faith in a different way. Where it's, it's not so hard. Where it's not such a struggle. I wonder if we've been trying to walk with God without God. Apart from his spirit. Let me tell you what happens when you try to do God without his spirit. Peter, three times he flakes on Jesus. No, I'm not one of his followers. No, I'm not one of his followers. And the last time the Bible says he curses, he's like, hell no, I'm not one of his followers. Right? True story from the New Testament. You jump over to So He Acts chapter 4, and Peter is there with John. And they've re- seen the resurrection of Christ. And the Pharisees are telling him, you can't do that. We're going to put you to death. And John probably should have been the one to step up. But Peter was like, and this is just how I see it in the... Oakland International Version. Now, Peter's like, hold on, John, I got this one. And Peter, the one who couldn't even stand up for his faith to a 14-year-old girl, 
now stands up to the spiritual rulers of his day and says, you're the ones to crucify him. You're the ones who... Where did Peter get that from? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that on that day they were all in one accord waiting on the Lord. And they heard a wind. They saw tongues. And they, or sorry, they saw fire. And they had tongues. They, they heard a wind. They saw fire. And they had tongues. They weren't doing anything but waiting. They were scared, but they were waiting. Might have gotten bored, but they were waiting. They might have been tired, but they were waiting. Here's the deal. Jesus had invited over 300 people to meet him at the upper room and told them to wait in Jerusalem until the, the power of God had come, until the Holy Spirit had come. Over 300 were invited to wait on the Holy Spirit, but only 120 showed up. Because many are called. But the frozen are, okay. But few are chosen. I, I know you want to blame all of your spiritual warfare on the devil, but some of it is your lack of devotion. Some, the devil's messing with some stuff. But some of it you just need to decide, I'm going to be consistent. Okay? When I don't feel like it, here's my time. Every morning, I spend 20 minutes with the Lord. Here's what it looks like. And I don't care. Come hell or high water, I set my alarm even on my day off. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. Let me tell you what's going to happen. The same thing's going to happen to you that happened for the young lady that I was ministering to with anorexia inside the hospital. The doctors told me, they said, Dell, she doesn't have an appetite, but if you can get her just to eat a little bit of something, try to convince her. What's going to happen is as she eats a little bit, her appetite's going to come back. See, in the world... We get hungry and we eat. But in the kingdom, you eat to get hungry. So I want to ask you tonight, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you burnt out? Are you frustrated? Are you lonely? Are you hurting? Are you isolated? Simple invitation. Would you step out of your seat for a moment and just come to the altar and rest in the presence of the Lord? That's all I got.